Good evening. How are you guys doing? Very grateful for Jason um, for leading us in worship tonight. Two or three of us are at least. So uh, half the staff's in India and Jason and I are the only two left working. So we're carrying the, we're carrying the weight around here. Just kidding. Uh, but we do have five of our staff that are in India now. So it's five of the loudest people and uh, it's quiet around the office. So we're able to get a lot accomplished this week and, uh, and we'll be able to get a lot accomplished next week. But we are praying that just God would just use them greatly and work in their lives in a great way. They come back next Thursday and um, we just can't wait to hear the stories of all that God accomplishes through that trip. Um, so tonight we are continuing in First Corinthians. And um, we've got a pretty interesting topic we're going to talk through tonight. If you go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, we're going to barely hit verse 12. I know you guys hit 12 and 13, so we're going to just start off there in a few minutes um, as a way of reminder, but also to set the context for the rest of the time. We have mic runners. If you have a question, if you have a comment, be sure to raise your hand and, um, and we'll interact that way. But let me pray as we get started. God, I just thank you so much that you are an awesome God and you are so worthy of our praise. And I thank you for um, the privilege that I have tonight to teach. But I thank you um, more than anything for the privilege that I have to be a, a son of the Most High God. And uh, the love that you have for us um, and all that you've accomplished through Jesus Christ and in sending your spirit to us, God, we just say thank you. And we pray that tonight, um, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and reveal uh, insights from your word, enlighten our understanding so we can understand what we're talking about. Speak to us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to read the, the chunk of scripture that I hopefully will be able to get through tonight in one swoop. So let's just do that first. We'll read through these verses and then I'll come back and sort of go verse by verse through them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he also and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I want you to think back with me to when you were younger. Where did you learn your thoughts on sexuality? You can just shout it out. Television? Friends? Magazines? 
Maybe, maybe some of us, our parents set us down and had a talk. Honestly, I don't even remember. I think I just blocked that out of my memory. It would have been an awkward moment, so it would be a good thing to block. Some of us from sex ed class at school, maybe, we started putting pieces of the puzzle together. I want us to just sort of stop and just examine our own heart, though. To say, our experience and our background is something that we bring to the text. And when we read it tonight, we don't read it absent of all the experience and absent of all of, all of our first interactions and the culture that we were brought up in. And so when we read the text, here's a problem that happens. The, the people at Corinth had this problem. Their morals and their thoughts on sexuality were formed by the culture that they were raised in, that they lived in, that they experienced life in. So when Paul came to them with some teachings from the scriptures, the teachings were very, very difficult to accept because they didn't line up with the Corinthians' understanding. And the problem that we have to navigate is that same problem to say, we have ideas in our head, we have thoughts about issues, but the real question is, where do those thoughts come from? Where where do our worldviews come from? Where are they formed from? And if they're not with a biblical foundation, if they're not with an understanding of God's truth, then we're just making it up as we go along. If, if, if we say, I'm, I'm not building my beliefs on an authoritative truth, then the reality is everybody has a different opinion in this room and everybody's opinion is just as valuable. But the truth of Scripture teaches this. There is a such thing as authoritative truth. And so tonight I'll teach like that and I'll teach like Paul knows what he's talking about because I sort of think he does. I think God inspired him to understand what he's talking about. And some of the things that that maybe some of us wrestle with, I hope we do wrestle tonight and I hope intellectually we have to think through some things and I hope we're challenged by even how we view other people and interact with other people. And so that's sort of what we're going to talk about today. Um, Setting the context of this up first, the church in Corinth is is full of people living out this way. Uh, They're just figuring it out as they go. They're, they're, They're living their lives based off of their culture many times. So you see, as you guys have week after week that have been here, that Paul addresses specific issues in the church. So in the first four chapters, probably the major issue that Paul is calling them out and he's saying, wait, 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 you better watch out. They're living their life based off of human philosophy and human understanding and human leaders. And so they have some that say, I follow Paul. And some say, I follow Apollos. And they're arguing back and forth about who's the best speaker, who's the most persuasive, who, who's the, the wisest of them all. And they're arguing on these personality kind of lines. And Paul says, wait a minute. This is not about the worldly way of wisdom. This is about God's wisdom. And Paul corrects them in that understanding. In chapter 5, we see that there's evil behavior that's going on in the church. And nobody is doing anything about it. They've adopted this policy. Well, that's not any of my business. And they've got blinders on. They don't want to look. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You cannot allow sin to be in your midst. If you really love that person, you would confront them on their sin. And Paul challenges them in this regard. At the beginning of chapter 6, we saw this two weeks ago when I was here. Uh, we see that there's lawsuits going on. Believers are suing believers. Brothers are suing brothers. And Paul says, that is not the way that we handle things. And he gives them one of those conflict management 101 kind of lessons. and says, wait a minute, we need to confront each other in love. And be there for each other. So tonight we're going to see Paul calls out one more humongous, glaring area 
in their life that they're failing in big time. We have to understand this. Corinthians is a letter written to the church in what city? Corinth. And Corinth was a city that was very well known in that day and age as a very sexually promiscuous city. So they even had a verb. They said you were to go Corinthianize. It means to live it up. You're very sexually active. You're Corinthianizing it. They, it was a slang word because that was the reputation of the city. There was a temple uh, to, the, to Aphrodite there that had 1,000 priestesses in this temple. That at night they would come down into the streets and sort of make their ways into home and you could buy their services. And they sold themselves into prostitution. This was a part of the culture that the Corinthian church was birthed in. Probably not, on some levels, all that different from the culture we find ourselves in now. A society that is saturated with sexuality. I did some really quick stats. And I tried to personalize them the best I can. Um, now, I give you guys a lot of credit, and I, I think you guys are probably a little bit above average. But let's just say this was an average, I don't know, 350 people from our society. Let's just say it's average. You guys are much more above average. But if you were average, 80 men in this room right now would be looking at pornography consistently. If this were an average group, then about 80 of you men would be pretty heavily involved in pornography. One out of three viewers of pornography on the internet right now are female. So a good number of you ladies would be involved in that too. Adultery would have impacted the marriage. And, and these, these stats vary. What I learned about in my quick searches, stats on adultery are hard to come by. But anywhere from 90 to 180 people of you in this room would have been, your marriage would, will in the future, or will, would have in the past been affected by adultery. Possibly up to about 20 men in here have paid for sex with a prostitute at some point. So when I read the statistics and I talk about the scriptures, I would say that this is a pretty important issue for us to discuss here. And if it's not applicable to where you're living right now, I can promise you it will help you in conversations with other people when you leave this room. Because you work with the people. You live next to people who are struggling with these very same issues. And there's a deeper, there's a deeper truth that's going on than, than, than when I grew up. I, I've told you guys before that, that I grew up in the church. I mean, I've been in the church before I could ever remember. I didn't have a chance to not go to church. My parents drugged me there. And I remember vividly being in youth group and hearing talks about sex. And basically this, the talks were like this. Don't do it. No. Bad. That was about the extent of it. it. It wasn't, you know, too encouraging, wait till marriage kind of thing. It was just, don't do it. Bad. No. And I don't know what kind of upbringing you've had or how you've learned about the issue, but I just want you to hopefully tonight get a picture of what God has designed. Um, and this, this passage is so interesting. So let's break it down and, and I'll do this first part pretty quickly. But if you have an NIV Bible like I'm using, look at verse 12. Everything is permissible for me is in parentheses. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. And again, in parentheses, everything is permissible for me. So one of two things are, are going on right here. Either that is a slogan that is popular in Corinth. Everything is permissible. 
that was just sort of a tagline that they threw around. Or that's something that Paul had written in another letter to the Corinthians that, that we don't have. But, but what's going on here is he's quoting them, quoting something else. And he's saying, oh, you, you guys are saying everything is permissible for me. But let me just tell you, not everything is beneficial. And you say everything is permissible for me, but let me tell you this. I will not be mastered by anything. And then he goes and he quotes this next verse in 13. But in these verses, he basically says there's, there's three dangers. What he's talking about here is not simply food and stomach. That's what the next verse talks about. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the, the issue of what's permissible in the areas of sin, um, sexual sin. And he says there's, there's three real dangers of sexual sin that are going on here. Basically, it's this. Um, not everything is beneficial. The three things are this, if you want to write them down real quick. Sexual sin harms it controls and it perverts. It harms, it controls, and it perverts. So it harms, he says. Um, everything is per- permissible, but not everything is beneficial. The reality of sin, and especially sexual sin, is this. It may be fun for a season, but it has painful consequences. There may be a quick and momentary pleasure, but the price is high. Flip with me to Proverbs chapter 5. All of chapter 5 of Proverbs is a warning against adultery. It's a warning to the son of the writer to pay attention to wisdom. To listen to words of insight. Proverbs chapter 5 starting in verse 3. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. So he says, obviously there's some appeal. There's her lips are dripping honey and her speech is smoother than oil. So, I mean, she's persuasive. She's trying to woo you in. Verse four. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. She's deceived and she's deceiving. Adultery deceives and it is deceiving. And it ends with very, very, very high price. So the writer of the Proverbs says, you've got to understand how harmful this is. But here's what I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want you to to read this proverb or hear this in 1 Corinthians and say, well, then sex must be bad in in and of itself. And we're going to deal with this a couple different points. But even the writer of Proverbs here in in verse 18 says, no, 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 no. It's it's an amazing gift from God. Um, Actually, verse 17. There's a lot of verses I could read, but um, let's start at 18. May your fountain be blessed. And he's talking about the relationship between a man and a wife. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe and a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you at always. May you ever be captivated by her love. And, and, and the, the writer of Proverbs is saying, no, 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 no. This is not a bad thing in and of itself. It's got to be in the right context. In the context of marriage, this is the most beautiful thing um, a husband and wife can experience between each other. But taken out of that context... It's bitter and sharp as a double-edged sword. Its feet go down to death, straight to the grave. 
And Paul says, although everything may be permissible, everything is not beneficial because there comes with big consequences. And it harms you. Number two, Paul says, you have to watch out because it can control you. He says again in verse 12, everything is, not, is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And this word master means to come under the control or under the power of something. It means to be enslaved to something. And the reality is there is no sin more enslaving than sexual sin. There's a progression of desire that happens. And it's a trap that people get caught in over and over again. It's one of the the, the top five most common addictions in America right now. Sexual sin. And it has a controlling influence on our life because there's something inside of us that just craves more, 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 if left unchecked. Even at a young age, we can realize this. Remember back with me to when you were young, I know that's hard for some of you, to the very, very, very first time you held hands with a boy or a girl. You remember your first boyfriend, your first girlfriend? Actually, I don't. I remember the second or third, though. You know, the the nervousness of just sort of saying, yes, yes. And you're sort of shaking and everything. And then like the next time you get together, you're like, okay, I'm going to get to the next step. Yes. But even as a young person, this isn't enough. And pretty soon it was, can I give you a kiss on the cheek or, or whatever? And it's innocent at that age, but but... But the progression is there. And let's play that out. Level after level after level after level. If left unchecked, if left unguarded, it becomes a controlling, enslaving influence in our life. And Paul says, everything may be permissible, but everything is definitely not beneficial. And it is nothing that I want to be mastered by in that realm. Verse 13, he continues, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Notice that's in... Uh, quotation marks as well. Some kind of either a slogan of the society or a writing that Paul's given. And so he's quoting it back to them and he's saying food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Okay, so here's how this starts going. Paul's talking to them and he's saying, okay, you you need to understand something. This saying that you have, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. They're they're saying everything's biological. They're saying, you know, if you're hungry, you eat the food for the stomach, the stomach for food. And they would basically just throw sex in there. The body for sex and sex for the body. And they would just say, it's all biological. If it feels good, do it. What harm is there in that? God gave me desires. I might as well use them. God wouldn't give me a desire that I am not supposed to use, right? He would be mean in doing that. And they're like, that's just how it works. And Paul says, wait, you, you, you fundamentally don't understand. Food and stomach, those kind of things, they pass away. They're temporal. But he says something very interesting. He said, but the body, look what he says about the body. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. So there's something, there's something bigger, there's something higher going on here with the body. What do you think he's talking about? 
I want to give you guys some time to interact. What is, what is he talking about when he says that? It's almost like he switches gears. Not the, the stomach food conversation, but then he all of a sudden goes to, but God will destroy them both. But the body now, on the other hand, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What do you think he's talking about? I think what he's talking about is uh, when uh, you're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. And it's going to, you know, you're going to be a carrier of the Holy Spirit. And your body should be pure as, you know, okay. that you're carrying something okay. holy of holies. Yeah. Yep. We will read that, a verse about that in just a minute. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, I have down later on in verse 18, uh, when it's talking about body, the, I don't know if it's the Greek or Hebrew word for body is sarks. Do you know if it's the same, uh, if it's the same word up further where we're at? Because um, the way that it defined that was like body, as in like a body of water. Like it's a whole, it's the whole body. Okay. You know what I'm, like, because yep. we hear body in the Bible and it's like the body passes away and it's the spirit that sustains. Sure. And I didn't know if there was a... You know, I don't know that. Typically, sarx is translated flesh and soma is body usually. So I don't... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what I... Okay. Okay. Do you know if it's different up there? Um, I th- no, I think in this passage, it's Soma every time. You've got it on your... Okay, Soma. it's Soma right. every time, yeah. Cool. I think it's an interesting thing that Paul is talking about here because he, he's, in one sense, he is switching gears, but he's saying there's a bigger truth going on here. He's saying there's something unique about sexual immorality that distinguishes it and, and, and has some implications for the body that are grander than biological talks about food and stomach. And he says there's something about the food and the stomach and eating that that stuff passes away. But there's something about sexual immorality on the, on the, the, the negative side, but just sex in general that is a part of who we are at a deeper level. And he says our body is for the Lord. Our body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. There's something going on at a deeper level. There's something going on that, that he's hinting here that sexuality pervades every aspect of our humanity, impacting us physically on a soul level, on a spirit level, that it's more to it than just biological activity, more to it than just physical pleasure. There's something going on here. Yeah. Doesn't that mean there that when we... Um, come to the Lord, the Lord resides in us. So basically when we have sex outside of his law, we're having sex with the world hmm. and we're doing it to Christ. Hmm. That's part of it, yeah. The, the next the few verses later will demonstrate that for sure. Yeah, go ahead and read the next verse with me, verse 14. This is part of the answer to that question. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also, yeah. I was just going to comment on on this last part sure. before you brought that one up. Um, I think it has to do with the fact that we love God, loves and respects us. He wants us to love and respect Him. He wants us to carry that out with another person, and this is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us, and He wants us to keep that in its pure form and to have respect and, and hold it up high 
for many reasons, um, to preserve the family, to preserve morality in that respect. And I think that um, Satan probably likes to use sex because it's such a tempting pleasure, addiction, whatever, um, for people, and it's probably one of the most. um, So I think it's more of just to solidify that um, brotherly love, that love and respect for each other and for God through that. So so what, what happens here is this. Most conversations that you hear anywhere in our society regarding this subject are on a superficial level. It's just skimming the surface. It's talking about superficial things. And God is saying, no, no, I want to get deep down to the heart of this issue. Because this is not a superficial thing. This, this subject impacts who you are at the core of who you are. It's by the blood of Christ that we're made worthy. And if you're not, if you don't stay under the blood but sin, you're not worthy of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll read that verse in just a minute. Yeah, that, that applies to that. Yeah. The way that I read this is, you know, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So when it's referring to the body, it's the whole. It's the soul. It's your physical. It's everything. So every part of us mm-hmm. is meant for the Lord, and the Lord is meant for every part of us. Yeah. And when we are sexual... When we go through sexual immorality, it damages the whole and it damages everything that God is trying to do through us as the hands of Peter Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple of things I thought of as, as you were talking. Sexual immorality here is, is a word, porneia in the Greek. That's a general translation that's used for a lot of different things. It's used sometimes in the context of adultery. It's used sometimes in the context of just sex outside of marriage. But it's, it's a general category of, of, of sex outside of the way God intended it to between a husband and wife. And so here, verse 14, he says, By his power God raised, us from the, uh, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So in a similar way that as Jesus died on a cross and he was buried in a tomb, And he rose again a few days later. Did people recognize him still? After he rose from the the grave? Well, not right away, yeah. But but in in the room when he showed himself, they're like, it's you, Jesus. He still looked the same, right? He still had a body that consumed food. He he still had he had a resurrected body. He had a new body, but 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 it was still him. It was still, you know, there was continuity there. In a similar way, the Bible tells us that God will raise up our bodies as well. In that day of rapture, that there's the, the dead who are in the graves, they're going to come out of the grave. Us who are walking the earth, we're going to go. And there's something about a resurrected body, a glorified body. There's something that's going on theologically throughout the Bible that, that talks about the body being made in the image of God. And that we're to possess ourselves in holiness and sanctification not abusing the body that God has given us. And Paul is here building a case that, that it builds on itself and it builds on itself and it builds on itself. And it starts by sort of saying, hey, you know, yeah, we may say everything's permissible, but things aren't necessarily beneficial and we're not going to be controlled by the wrong things. And he's building a case and he just keeps getting a little bit bigger into this case. So now verse 15. In the passage we're reading tonight, this is one of three times that Paul will ask this question. Do you not know? And if you remember, 
in chapter 6. He's already done it three other times, but it's sort of a common thing. Paul is reminding them on one hand, but for those who don't understand, he's like, don't you know? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? At the moment of conversion... We become members of Christ. We become part of the body of Christ. You've heard the verses that talk about the 1 Corinthians 12 talks about being a, a part of the body of Christ. And we have hands and feet and those kind of different things. The moment that we decide to follow Jesus Christ, we become members of the body of Christ. United with Christ. He goes on, he says, Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never, is how he says so he abruptly shifts this conversation from a theological conversation to a very practical one. And I believe that Paul is probably talking to some people when he says this, and it's written down at a later date, and Paul says something like, you, you guys are members, you're members with Christ. You, you're part of his body. You've accepted him by faith. You're part of his body. So are you going to then go take and join Christ with a prostitute? And he's calling out in Corinth a sin that had grabbed a hold of the church. And I believe there were some cheeks that started to blush. And some people that started to squirm in their seats because he, they felt like Paul was talking right to them. He says, shall you take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Who would ever dream of that? Who would ever do that before God? And Paul says, never. That's, that's nothing that we would ever want to do. So verse 16, he continues. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. So let's talk about this. I would love your guys' feedback on this point. When, when the Bible says um, these two concepts, you're united with a prostitute, you become one with her. Because it says the two become one. What do you guys think Paul is saying at that point? Don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? I think what he's trying to say is that... Uh... When you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're one with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and then when you uh, have sex with a prostitute, you're you're disrupting that. You're you know you're becoming one with her, and you're disrupting the, the Holy Spirit. So so Paul says this: when you unite with a prostitute, you're one with her. And the Corinthian response says, No, 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 no. It's just sex. It's just biological. It's just physical. And Paul says, no, no, you don't understand me. When you do that, you're united to that person. And the Corinthian comes back, no, no, no. It's just sex. It's, it's nothing more than that. It's just casual. It's friends with benefits. It's just, it's nothing. Is it also, um, you know, um, in the Bible when uh, Jesus says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Uh-huh. It's almost as if, how can I say this? I hope it comes out right. It's almost as if when you unite your body with that of a prostitute, you're committing adultery against Christ. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because you're one with your wife, and then Absolutely. you're one with God, and when you go outside that, it's almost like you betrayed yeah. your... No, you're, you're right. 
Everybody's getting ahead to these verses. You guys are calling me out ahead of time. Take, take, your, take your Bible. We're going to get a couple more questions. Turn to Genesis chapter 2 as we're, uh, a few other people are speaking. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I have to do this far away. Okay. Um, so much talk about body. I think we're also kind of... Sex is more. Sex is the mind. Sex is the spirit. And sex is the heart. And I think the point of the matter is when when you talk about flesh or one or marriage or sex with a prostitute, it has to do with... In, and back to the stomach, it, what he's saying is, is it, it isn't putting... You know, having sexual intercourse isn't putting food. It, it isn't the same. It's not even on the same level. Sex regardless whether it's with a prostitute or with your wife, is spiritual and mental in nature, and you need to delineate between the two. Absolutely. And it's very important. And until you get out of that illusion in your mind that it is anything but just physical, then you cannot be one with Christ because um, we are all supposed to be him first anyway. He should be first and I think that that, um, by by having sex with a prostitute and creating that illusion, we are putting him to the side and and taking our stomach or our physical need before him. Yeah, absolutely. So in that passage that says, he who unites himself with a prostitute, that word unite literally means to glue together. And so you're right. He's exactly saying it's not just physical. It's emotional. It's mental. It's spiritual. It's on a soul level. There's a, there's a union that goes on in the deepest sense of communion human beings can have. And it's not just sex. It's not just biological. Yeah, um, yeah I, I guess you kind of said, said what I was going to say. Because um, marriage is, is everything. Marriage, when you... Um, marry someone, you give yourself to that person, your whole, your body, soul, mind, uh, everything and any anything. And when you give, come to the Lord, you're with the, the Lord describes us as his bride. We are in a marriage. So when you do something outside of the marriage as of, you know, sexual immorality or it's a sin. So you're bringing that, you break that veil that you have with the Lord, that, that sacredness, you know, um, you, you break it. Right. And, and anytime you bring a third party into your marriage or anytime you bring that third issue into, you've broken that sacredness that, that you have, whether it be sexual immorality or anything else. But that seems to be the greatest that um, that just you know um, tears right. everything the control yeah. that it has. Absolutely, yeah. Genesis chapter two. So at this point, God has created. There's been seven days of creation. God has has created Adam. In verse eighteen, God looks at Adam and says, "It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him." So he does that. In verse twenty three, the man sees the woman. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. 
united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So when we go back to the very earliest part of creation, here's what we see. God comes up with this idea. Adam didn't realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm alone. I need, I need somebody. God realized he's alone. You need someone. God came up with the concept of marriage. God came up with the concept of sex and union that way. This is God's idea. He created it. It's not something we came up with on our own. It's God's idea for union, for unity between a man and a woman at the deepest level of who we are. This was all God's idea. And so within the confines of marriage, God created sex For a bunch of different reasons, for procreation, to have children, to keep generations going and going, for pleasure as well. We've got to remember, it's God's idea, but it also comes under God's guidance and the context that he's made for it to be in. Just out of curiosity, um, if if you're becoming union with an individual, you're basically taking on their sins as well. I mean, if it's temporary, you're not honoring that temple because that's become part of your flesh. Uh, So if you're having these relations, it's your responsibility to make sure that temple is right with God as well. So how are you able to do that without a partnership? I'm not sure I understand your question. Could you say it in a different way? I'm just saying, I'm opening it more up for a question than than just a statement. It's just that if, if, if you are becoming one flesh with an individual and it's not out of marriage, you're basically taking on that individual sins, potentially. I mean, that's, you know, you become one flesh. You are part of that individual, in a sense. Um, How are you supposed to manage that process? Because in a partnership, you are helping each other to have a more personal relationship with Christ. I'm just from more of an open-ended question. is like, how can you fulfill that obligation if that's the case, if that individual is now part of your flesh and you cannot dictate you know, anything about what their relationship with Christ is. You can't. It's not how God designed it. So you can try and you can work at it. But if you're not, if, if, if you're participating in sex and you're not within that marriage covenant, that the way that God created, the way that God ordained it, it, it it's going to bring consequences. And... You can try all you want to to make it work out. And and some people can, on some level, I guess, quote unquote, make it work. But what Paul is saying here is, and what we just read in Genesis, God is saying, I've created this and and I've made this and, and this is how it flourishes. And this is how you become united. And this is how you become one flesh. And this is how you maintain the intimacy that that God has designed And any time you take it out of that context, you absolutely pervert God's design. And you're never able to be who God has fully created you to be. And that other person is never able to be who God has created them to be. We'll see a little bit of that in just a few minutes. Um, All of you guys are getting ahead of us. It's like you've you've got my cheat sheets. But it's, it's exactly, that's exactly the point that I think Paul is trying to say is Corinthians say it's just sex, but you don't understand. It's controlling you and it's it's perverting you at all these different levels. And, and Paul just keeps coming back. And I think that's why here he even references way back to creation. This was God's idea that the two will become one flesh. And 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 that Christianity, you know, it just it teaches, look. Not sex is bad, not, not sex is something to be avoided, but that in the proper context and in the proper way, it's the most amazing thing that God gives 
a husband and a wife between each other. But outside of that, there's problems. There's problems. Now, I'm not saying it's always bad, but I'm saying you will never be all that God intended you to be outside of that. There's a a quote from C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters. Um, I think this is an amazing quote. I've never heard it before until this week. Every time a man and a woman enter into a sexual relationship, a spiritual bond is established between them which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. Every time a man and woman unite... There's a union. There's something that takes place that, if done in the context of marriage as God designs, could be eternally enjoyed. But if not, and it's outside of the context, must be eternally endured. It's a consequence of sin. And we all know that. And some of us know that just on on a very raw level, that sexual sin has consequences. And I want you to hear, I want to be clear at this point to say, there is grace and there is forgiveness. And I pray that you won't receive an ounce of condemnation from this because Paul is not trying to heap condemnation, nor am I. We're we're trying to encourage everyone. Paul's trying to encourage, I'm trying to encourage all of us to constantly turn back to Christ, to give him. And if we failed in some of these areas, to repent to turn away from those sins and back to God. But, but the reality is, consequences are inescapable. And C.S. Lewis is right. There's, there's baggage that comes from those mistakes made outside of marriage. But within marriage, there's such enjoyment. So let's keep going. Verse 17. Um, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. If you are not united by faith in Jesus Christ, you are one with him through the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us upon our um, acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. So now Paul switches gears a little bit again and he addresses what we should do in order to be righteous. If you want to be a holy person in this area, if you want to be able to live sexually pure and the wise and the most godly thing that you can do when you're facing temptation, what would that be? The wisest thing that you could do, the most holy thing that you could do, run. (laughs) Run. You're like, well, that just doesn't seem very holy. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Look what he says. Very simply, Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Let's just stop there. That's what Paul says. If, you want, if you're in a position of temptation, the, bo- the mess... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm messing up my words. I'm so excited. The most righteous thing you can do is run. Get away. Don't fight the temptation by trying to hang in there and be strong or wrestle it. Run away. Get away. Escape. That's biblical. That's a command. That's an imperative in the Greek Flee immorality. To get away from it. Don't try to fight. Don't put yourself in situations where you have to wrestle. If you're watching TV and there's something you shouldn't be watching, turn it off. If you're at a movie and there's something that's bringing temptations, get up and walk out. If you're on a date and you start struggling with that, end the date, go home. There's no use putting yourself in the situation where you can fall. Avoid it. Flee it. If you're on your computer and you're about to go there, shut it off. Get away. 
Flee the immorality. But look how he explains this. He takes it to a deeper level again. All other sins, this is the middle of 18, all other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So this passage teaches us that sexual sin is unique in its character. The devastating effects, the consequences are unique. It's not necessarily saying there's a hierarchy here. He's not saying that right here. He's just saying the consequences are unique. We all know alcohol can have devastating effects on a person's body. We all know gluttony comes with potential risks. Drug abuse can bring great harm to your body. But Paul says, he who sins sexually, there's this unique element that you sin against your own body. The the devastation from these sins, these sexual sins, it may or it may not appear on the outside. Could be like a cancer that's growing inside of you. It's not visible to the eye, but inside. It's controlling you. And he says it's because this is a sin that involves spiritual union between two people. Union between, you could say it another way, between two spiritual beings as humans. And so he sort of explains this on another level. Look at verse 19. And he says one more time, Do you not know? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you just understand that truth and what that means? Your body, if if you're here today and you are a follower of Christ, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you just trace that back and you remembered way back in the Old Testament when they're wandering around in the wilderness and they have this little tent that they set up and in that tent, God dwelt in that tent and they sort of moved it around and then it became an ark and then it became a, a temple that they built and then Jesus became the one who was God revealed among us. The Bible tells us he's there and he, he tabernacled among us. But now it says when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. That's amazing. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. He says God lives inside of you. The living God lives inside of you and me. We're the sacred shrine, the, the place the Holy One dwells. And the Holy Spirit is given to every one of us as a gift from God when we believe. And the Holy Spirit is our resource, our God-given resource to fight temptation, to flee when we have to get out of there, to battle against temptation. And he says, we have the capacity to be intimately related to the greatness and glory of God, to have God inside of us. And here's the problem. Sexual sin offers our temple, our bodies, our soul, our spirit, as well as the Holy Spirit living inside of us, offers it to another person for satisfaction, for pleasure. We're selling out. And that becomes a grave form of idolatry, of seeking worth in something else besides Christ by bringing him into it. And so he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this very interesting line, you are not your own. 
That doesn't really go well in our society. I don't know how you receive that, but, but in our society, there's all kinds of different ways people are saying, I'm in control of myself. I can make choices about myself. I am my own person. But God says, wait a minute. Through Paul, he says, if, if, you, if you're following Christ and if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you're, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. The, the price of Jesus Christ on a cross, his blood shed for you. You were bought with a price. We're God's property. We can't claim our rights to live any way that we wish. We must follow him. But, but here's what I think is interesting. And here's what I love what Paul's doing here. Paul is not saying you need to be aware of sexual immorality because do you know the side effects? I mean, that's how sex education did in, in middle school. You know the side effects? You could get pregnant. You could get an STD. You could get AIDS. You could, do, you could ruin your life and list all these negative consequences. Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You shouldn't do sexual immorality. You shouldn't commit that because I want you to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he appeals to our identity. He appeals to whose we are, not just who we are. And he says, you were bought with a price. So remember whose you are. Remember you are God's creation, but you're also God's son. You're God's daughter. And, and even more than that, you've, you've got God living inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember who you are and don't give in to that stuff. Don't, don't settle. Don't put your guard down. Don't say, okay, just for a moment, I'll give in to temptation. Don't do that because you are God's son. You are God's daughter. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you as the temple of God. So Paul reminds us of the price that was paid and the love that God has for us. And he says, remind yourself whose you are. You are created in the image of God. You are created to be indwelt by God. And then he ends with this last little phrase in the end of verse 20. He says, therefore, honor God with your body. Therefore, honor God with your body. What, you guys talk back to me for a minute. What does that mean? How do we honor God? How do we glorify God with our body? By working out and staying physically in shape. Okay. So there's an element of, of where Paul talks about there's, there's, there's a benefit of taking care of the body that, that God has given us. We don't just waste it, what God has given us. We have a responsibility. Um, I think uh, it's kind of like a child coming up to their parents and, you know, you dress yourself and you're like, oh, dad, do I look good? Do I look good? And he's like, yeah, you look good. But if he goes out and he buys you something awesome and you jump in the mud and you know that's going to hurt him and you go up, to him and say, hey, do I still look good to you? Of course, as a father, he's going to be like, yeah, I can see behind the mud, but the mud's kind of messing you up right now. So I think that's kind of, you honor God with your body and your soul, your strength, your heart, your mind, no matter what you've done to get muddy, because he'll make you clean. But um, it's just kind of watching yourself around the mud piles, I guess, if that, make, if that okay. makes sense. That's so. a good point, because here's, here's the problem that happened in Corinth. You, if you would have left off that last part, the people at Corinth were saying, but guess what? God loves me so I can go do as I please. God's going to forgive me, so I'm just going to take advantage of his grace and take advantage of his love and take advantage of, of all that he's offered me. 
And Paul says, if that's the way you're approaching him, you don't really understand him. You don't really understand that you were bought at a price. That a price was paid for you. And it's not cheap grace. It was costly grace. It cost Jesus his life on a cross. And so it's not a license to sin, but it's grace that in the the middle of our times where we do fail, he will forgive us. Yeah. By not moving in with a girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. In In the context of what he's talking about, glorify God, the choices that we make. The choices that we make, the, the, the things we flee from, we're, we're honoring God. Yeah. I think the bottom line is honoring God is um, following those Ten Commandments that he gives us. Um, you know, basically it's everything that he wants us to live by. And um, I think if we focus on that, we'd be honoring God. So here's what's happening in the Corinthian church. You've got some people that are are legalists. And they say, give me point after point after point after point after point and I'll follow that. They, They just want rigid legalism. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Then there's way over here on the other side, the people who say what I just was talking about. Oh, grace, we can go and do whatever we want to do. Because God loves us and God's going to forgive us. And, and Paul says, wait a minute. If you're way over here, you don't understand the price that was paid like I just shared. But then he says, if you're way over here and all you want to do this, do this, do this, do this list, you don't understand it's about a relationship. And it's about knowing intimately. That's why the same exact language that's used for a husband and wife being one and being united... It's the same language that's used for us and God being united to know God intimately, to be with him. Just a, a point about a, uh, honoring God. I mean, this comes down to a free will issue. You actually can make a choice, but you choose God first. I think that delights God more so than anything is that knowing you have that choice and that you choose not to. But One, one thing I did want to point out, though, is that um, you mentioned to run and to flee. That's also a Christian. That's also a maturity issue because you need to go in the lion's den because we're to spread the the word of Christ, and you will come into situations where you are tempted. But it's a maturity issue, so there are opportunities there to help those individuals who don't understand that, and you will be tempted. But it's a matter of Christian maturity and being able to handle the situation. So you're right. Run if you're not mature, but stay if you are, and try to guide. Yeah, I was just thinking like uh, this gentleman was talking about exercise. Uh, I think uh, you know, just basically taking care of your body and not smoking or being a drunkard, um, exercising, proper diet, living a healthy life, taking care of your body as God intended it to be. And uh, Pastor, I had one question for you, uh, something we didn't touch on in this chapter, and uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to put this, but it, uh, it says sexual sin as far as being with somebody else outside the marriage. But it doesn't really touch on anything as far as, um, how should I put it, self-releasing. Sure. Um, sure. There's nothing that's, because right. I've always wondered about that. And that's, it, you know, so if you can Okay, no, that's a great question. That. Well, so here's how I'll answer that. I'll answer it exactly how I was going to end it. And if it's too vague for you, come talk to me afterwards. So here's, here's, what, um, here's what happens in our society. Here's the question we ask. It, it's, it's sort of that question, but more in the context I was thinking of, of relationships. 
How far is too far? How far is too far? We, we want to draw lines sexually and say, but, but how far is too far? And so we want to ask that kind of question because then we want to know where's the line so that we can know what? How close can we get to the line without sinning, right? That's how we ask. But when Paul says, therefore, honor God with your body, I think he's saying the line in the sand is the absolute wrong question to be asking. We shouldn't be asking how far is too far. We should be asking, does this glorify God? Because because we're told whatever we do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. If, If we're speaking, if we're drinking, if we're talking, if we're walking, if we're working, if we're working out, whatever we're doing, we should do it to the glory of God. That's the question that we've got to ask ourselves in every area of our life. Am I glorifying God right now? Am I honoring God? Not, not, what's that line that I can toe up against? And so there's, there's lots of specific questions like that one that this passage obviously does not address. And, and I think the answer to that question is that the answer is the same thing. Does, does that glorify God? How can you glorify God by doing that? I'm, I'm not sure of the justification, to be honest. And, and so... That's sort of the, the rule that I think Paul is giving to us to say, hey, ask this question because this is how a Christian is supposed to live your life. And, and let me just tell you, this is what will separate us from the world that we live in. Because here's what happens. The world thinks when we talk about sexuality that, that what we're saying is it's bad, it's wrong, don't do it. But a Christian, more than anyone, should have an understanding that sex is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given. That it's one of the most beautiful and intimate things on the face of this earth. When done between a man and his wife in the context of marriage. And so we're not, we're not saying our oh, sex is, is down here. We're saying it's better than our society could ever imagine. But it's being perverted And when it's perverted, it comes with all kinds of evil and all kinds of suffering and all kinds of abuse. And so we should be reclaiming that and living in purity and living in holiness that a world could see our example and understand something's different about that person. The way they live, the way they carry themselves. If you're a single person, your friends should be able to look at you and say, help me understand what's going on here. You're not like all the rest of the single people that I know. How are you living like that? Or if we're married, we should be giving an example within our marriage. That's a testimony to unbelievers. In that aspect as well. And so I just want to leave you with that question. I just want to leave you hanging with that. Ask yourself, is what I'm doing glorifying God? Is it honoring Him? Is it honoring the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me? And I really feel like that's the best question to ask ourselves. So let's pray and then we'll get out of here. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your word and the truth of your word and and how the scriptures never back down from uh, subjects that are controversial or whatever, God. And we just thank you for your insights and your wisdom, God. And God, I just pray you would help us to think biblically. In every area of life. Because our culture sends so many messages on the subject of sex. And we're bombarded with with images and messages that absolutely pervert 
your design for sex and for marriage and for true intimacy. And so God, I pray that we would be people who live biblically, who think biblically for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.